I promise this is it. Last week we're going to talk about money, but for a while at least, all right? For those of you who've been with us the last couple of weeks, we know you, you know we've been working through a series entitled uh, Building an Eternal Portfolio, and we've been exploring what the scriptures have to say to us about the place and the role of money in our lives. And there's two things we've learned so far. One is, is that the scripture clearly teaches that our spiritual health is connected to our giving. That what we give, what we return to the Lord, has an impact on our spiritual health, our spiritual vitality. And we spent some time exploring a passage out of 2 Corinthians 8, where uh, we understood that even if we as believers, we may excel, we may be the world's best Bible teacher, but if we don't excel at the grace of giving, we are incomplete Christians. We may be the world's best evangelist, but if we don't excel at the grace of giving, we are incomplete as a child of God. We, we, may, we may speak in tongues like angels, but if we don't excel in the gift of giving, we are incomplete. So we struggle with that issue and, and, and wrestle with it in our hearts. How is it that we can become people who excel at giving and experience that grace in our lives? But then last week, we, we explored a little bit further than that, and we understood from the Scriptures as we explored several different passages that, not, uh, that our spiritual health, our spiritual vitality, our relationship with God is not only imp- impacted by what we give, but it's also impacted by that what we do with what we retain from God. That it's not just about, you know, we, okay, we've given God His share so I can go off and do what I want, but it all belongs to God, and, and you and I need to have a, a, a heart, a mentality related to it that allows it to be a source by which God grows us as His child. That it's a source of, that produces spiritual vitality and spiritual health in our lives. And, and really maybe to, to summarize our theme was, it's a whole idea that we need to be not possessed by our money, but we need to use money as a possession that glorifies God. And if you missed either one of those weeks, you can find uh, copies of the sermons out there on one of the welcome kiosks, or you can also find them online at our website. But I know the prevailing question that hits many of us, is we, we, we listen to the Word of God, we, we understand what it teaches, and, and our heart is to acknowledge and say, I know that's true, but then we say, how? How in the world do I do that? You know, I sit down on my, my kitchen table, and I pull out my checkbook, and I pull out my pay stub, and I lay all my bills on the table. I said, how? How does this work? You know, and, and we wrestle with that question. And, and it only seems reasonable that if God has designed the world and us as his children, where both what we give and what we do with that which he allows us to keep impacts our spiritual health, that he would give us divine instruction on how we're supposed to make all of that work in our lives. And that's what I want to talk about today. This is going to be very practical in many ways, um, just really nuts and bolts kind of things, but it's all designed to try to answer the question, how do we live day by day, week in and week out, in a way that allows us to experience spiritual vitality through what we give and how we handle that which God allows us to retain and use for His purposes. See, for many of us, the the thoughts that run through our mind is, I don't have enough money to do this. If if I try to live the way God's telling me to, I can't say, it's not going to work. And so we struggle with this how question that emerges. Others of us, we think, even with all the money that we make, I'm never going to make enough money until I get to a place in my life where I don't have to worry about money. 
doesn't matter how many zeros are at the end of your check. Somehow or another, you just think that there's just, you're never going to reach a place where you're not worrying about money. It's interesting that Bill Hybel says that the courts of spiritual bankruptcy are just filled with folks who have vowed to themselves that they're going to deal with this issue after their next promotion or after this next deal is done, etc. It's something they keep pushing off and off. You know, polls show today that 64% of Americans worry about money. 64%. And 51% of divorces at this point in time, people would say that the primary issue that led to the divorce was finances, their money. I mean, this is an issue that we've got to get right if we're not only going to walk right with God, but we're going to walk through this world with a spirit of peace and also with the relationships that God wants for us to have. And so today I'd love for us to explore some of God's wisdom, some of God's divine instruction related to the issue of money in our lives. And, and fortunately, God in his, his infinite wisdom has given us tidbits of wisdom on how to live this way from a guy who arguably was the richest person who ever lived in human history, King Solomon. He arguably was the wealthiest guy who has ever lived in human history. I mean, he would make Bill Gates look like a guy who was just barely getting started and just developing his nest egg, you know, kind of idea. King Solomon was wealthy beyond his wildest dreams, and God prompted him by his spirit to write a book that we know as the book of Proverbs, where he passes along lots of words of wisdom to us about many things, including the way that we live financially. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn over to Proverbs chapter, Proverbs, just the book of Proverbs. I think if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find the book of Proverbs starts on page 532. I'm going to work um, out, of, out of my Bible. If you brought your own Bible, I encourage you to turn over to the book of Proverbs. We're going to go back and forth through a number of different passages of scriptures, most of which I've laid out for you in your, in your uh, sermon outlines. Um, but if you're looking for the book of Proverbs in your own Bible, you're going to find it right after Psalms. And Psalms is a big book, usually right in the middle of your Bible. It kind of flows out in the middle of the Old Testament. And you can just get to the right of that, you're going to run into the book of Proverbs, which are a collection of divine wisdom expressed through the pen of King Solomon. And I want to start with Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. And, and listen, if you're expecting some kind of divinely given magical dust that you can spread over your finances and it's going to fix all your problems, Scripture doesn't have that for you. It just doesn't. If you think that there is somewhere embedded in the Scriptures, just codes that's going to give you the, the key to the next lottery number where you can win the mass millions is not going to happen, okay? But God does give us some very practical wisdom on how to pe- be people who can live with spiritual peace and compliance with Him with our finances. And I want to start with just Proverbs 21, verse 5, where God says to us through King Solomon, the plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, but anyone who is reckless only becomes poor. The very first thing I would tell you is that you need to have a financial plan. Not a dream, not a financial dream, but a financial plan. The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit. But anyone who doesn't have a plan becomes poor. You need to have a financial plan. More specifically, you know, as you go on and you read here in in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, it says we need to commit our activities to the Lord, and our plans will be achieved. Now, here's the key. What the Bible's trying to teach us in the area of our financial lives is that we need to have a plan 
for what we spend. You might call that a budget. Most of us don't like the word budget. We don't want to live on a budget kind of idea. So I decided the phrase is we need to have to plan what we spend. There isn't any way to live, I believe, with the freedom, the freedom from worry, the freedom from anxiety, with the, with the God-given sense of security that we're supposed to, if we don't have a financial plan, one that's honoring to God and also is symptomatic of the good stewardship that he's called us to. You see, many of, you know, we have, many of us, we think we have this vision for our financial lives, but really a vision without any plans is just a dream. You know, and, and, and we really need to have plans that go underneath it. We need to step up and form a financial plan. And then we need to commit it to God. It needs to come to us from God and then move forward. The things that are important to us, we need to bring it out and move it forward. And, and I would tell you that there are some key things that you need to know. And these are this is very simplified. And, and, I, and I draw this out of Proverbs 27 that's here in your, your, your uh, sermon outline. It says, know well the condition of your flock. And pay attention to your herds. And, you know, before, you know, before they had stocks, they had flocks. You know, they used, to, they used to invest all their money in flocks instead of in stocks. So, you know, they had the Dow Jones Industrial Flock Average, I guess, is what they used to have. And, and so he says, you know, you, man, you need to consider your herds. You need to be focused in on them, you know. You need to know well the condition of your flock. You need to know where you are financially. How much do you owe? You know, what's the balance right now on your car, on your house? And credit card debt that you have, do you know exactly how much you owe? Many of us don't. We have an idea, but we don't know exactly. Well, I think it's, know how much you own. What is it that you actually have that's paid for? And you own it, and it's yours. Know how much you make. You know, have an idea of what you're, you're going to make. And, and for some of us, when we're, you know, it's seasonal kind of things, and we don't know exactly how many jobs we're going to get, we need to figure that all out. We need to know how much we're going to earn. And then you need to know how you spend it. See, the key for us is, is, not, is not asking the question of where did all my money go, but getting to a place where we make our money go where we want it to go. And that's what a financial plan is all, we, is all about. Our financial success, following God's plan for the, for the sense of financial peace in our lives, of being able to, for it to add to our spiritual vitality, is to figure out the fact that it's not really about how much we make, but it's about how we spend what we make. And that's hard for most of us. Most of us think we have an income problem. But really, ultimately, what we have is a spending problem. Because we don't spend our money wisely or succinctly, and etc. You know, and really, when you preach to a congregation in northern Worcester County, you're really preaching to a high-risk kind of congregation. Because they say the more educated you are, the more likely you are to spend money. That educated people spend more time shopping than people who aren't educated in terms of college degrees and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of, kind of I don't know, maybe we're just tuned into eBay and, and Amazon.com and we know how to get all those stuff on our, on our phones, you know, so we can buy stuff while we're walking around, you know. I don't know what it is, but all that way. And we really have an issue with shopping carefully or shopping impulsively, you know. And, and just pray if you're married, you have somebody in your relationship who's not an impulsive shopper. You know, I, I, I didn't tell this story in the first service, but I remember we, we used to have this car, this Ford Expedition. Some of you have heard this story before, or at least heard about the Ford. I hated that car. You know, we, we bought that car about six months after we started Hope Chapel because we couldn't get the trailer out of the driveway in the snowy days to haul it down to the church building. So we bought this big animal car, you know, to, to haul the trailer down. And, and, um, and I hated that car. I was glad Christina liked driving it because I didn't like driving it. It was like a 
I won't go into all my distaste for it. Well, anyway, one day, it's snowing out, right? And so, we're start, so we decided it really needed some tires and some other noise going on. This we took it down to, into a National Tire and Battery in Shrewsbury. And they did an overview of the car. So it was going to be like $2,700 to fix the car. And so like me, 10 minutes later, we're at the Lincoln Mercury dealer just down Route 9, you know. And we're taking this used Mariner that has a DVD system in it and all this other kind of stuff. We're taking it out for a ride. And it was, I loved it, you know. And we're actually sitting at the table having negotiated a price. And my wife says, you think we should pray about this? Needless to say, we didn't buy the car that day, you know. You know, so we, we, sometimes we shop. We can convince ourselves. We got, what, another year out of that car, right, at least. And I hated it every day that we drove it, you know. But I didn't trans- take that resentment and transist it over to Christina because she's the one who caused all that. So, you know, and, you know we just get, and said, you can drive that car today. I'll drive this other car. No, if we went. We can shop impulsively, but it's not just the big ticket items. It's, you know. I'll just buy lunch today. You know, oh, let's just stop and great. You know, we, we can spend lots of money, just four to five, six, seven dollars at a time. And it just goes, just gone. It's like w- water running through our fingers. You know, just, it's hard to hold on to. And it's that impulsive kind of spending, not being budgeted and knowing where we're going. We, who knows? We spend money for all kinds of reasons. Sometimes we spend it, you know, just for we think it's going to bring us joy kind of idea. For some, it's it's the idea of self-esteem, you know, well, my neighbor down the street got a new car and, you know, I have the same kind of job he has, so I must be able to afford a new car, so I should go buy one of these. Or for others, it's the novelty factor, you know, I got to be the first one to have an iPad, you know. So you line up at the Apple store, you know, at, at nine o'clock waiting to get in line to buy the iPad or the iPhone or whatever new gadget that's out. You know, there's lots of kind of things we can convince ourselves that we need and really we need to just back up and understand that we need to have a budget. And we need to direct the way that we spend as we move forward. So we start with this plan. What should be in that plan? Well, one of the things the Scripture teaches us, and we've looked at this already, is that we should give. And I'm going to allow that message to stand on its own. If you haven't heard it, you can go and, and, and get, like I said, get that off our website. It also says that we should include savings in our financial plan. One of the elements that should be in our financial plan is to save. And listen, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the scripture says that some of us are dumber than bugs. We're just dumber than bugs. Just look at this passage of scripture from, from Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. It says, go to the ant, you slacker. It says, you know, observe its ways and become wise. Without a leader, without an administrator, without a ruler, without somebody to tell it and make it to do so, it prepares its provisions in summer. It saves. It gathers its food during the harvest season so it can survive the winter. It saves. And the scripture would tell us that many of us are dumber than ants because we don't save anything. Look again in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. It says, be sensible and store up precious treasure. Don't waste them like a fool. And, and there's a different translation that I put here. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. They don't save anything. And, and if we, you and I are going to be faithful to God's plan, we need to save. What do we save for? I think there's all kinds of things. I think you could look at this passage related to the ants and say part of that is to, to save up for retirement. That's the winter season where we're not able to earn the same kind of income that we did earlier. So we should save for retirement. Some of it is to, re- to save for the unexpected kind of days. You know, it's one thing, you, you know, 
when you're bopping along and you're spending 99.9% of your money, and now all of a sudden you need a new roof and it's $12,000, where does that come from? I'll just borrow it. Or you need the $2,700 done on the car and you don't have that. Where do you get that from? You know, one of the stories, Bunty, Bunty can tell great stories. She said, she said, and she was telling me after the first service, she said, you know, I, when I used to go to the grocery store, I used to take a certain amount of money. And when, and if I had $10 left, I'd save that $10. She said, I kept putting that $10 aside. She said, and then all of a sudden in our journey, a couple, a little over a year into a couple years into it, their furnace went. And she had enough money out of her food money or grocery money that came within $2 of what it cost to replace her furnace. Because you save. You can save, you know, it's not even a bad thing to save for that special trip you want to take sometime. You know, to put all that kind of stuff aside. So, so how much is it that you're supposed to save? I, I can't tell you that the scripture gives you a particular amount. I can tell you that it's a big problem for us in America. 85% of Americans, surveys say, will reach retirement and they will not have more than $250 saved. The only thing that they're going to have to, re- to rely on is their Social Security. I remember when I was pastoring another church, we had this couple in the church, and he, he was a, a, a construction guy. He was self-employed, ran his own um, small construction company. It was very seasonal. He was very good at what he did. So for six or seven months out of the year, eight months out of the year, he'd be really busy. And he would be make great money. I was there for a number of years, and, and every February, they were on the verge of losing everything. Losing their house, losing this, his truck, losing everything. And they, and they had to borrow money from family and friends, whatever, because they, they didn't put anything aside during the seven or eight months where he was making tremendous money to prepare for those couple, three months every year where he wasn't making any money because he just couldn't do what he, he did. We need to learn how to save for us. Well, what does the scriptures really say? I, I don't really have a thus saith the Lord, here's a percentage. But people who know better than I have said that we should try to save 10% of our regular income towards savings to help for those rainy days, to save for retirement, to help save for that next car you got to buy, to help pay for that special trip. And it really can work. You know, we live in an area of the, of, the, of, of the U.S., in particular Massachusetts, where the average, the median household income in our area, in, in Sterling, in this area, is, is, is right around $70,000. That means as many people make more than that as less than that. So let's just even take an example that your household income is $40,000 a year. I know that's not a large amount in this society. It's, it, 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 you know, it, it's hard to stretch that. But if you were saving 10%, so you put $4,000 aside every single year, and you did that for 30 years. You would have set aside $120,000. But if you had that invested in a place where you just made 6 to 7% a year on average, by the time that 30 years emerged, you'd have almost a half million dollars in the bank. Savings works. That's why God says you've got to learn how to save. Consider the ant, you slacker. You know, don't live at 100% of your income. Set some of it aside for the Decembers and the Januaries and the Februaries where there is no food to go and glean. I know those are big numbers, and some of them say, well, I couldn't save 10%. Just look at the small stuff. I, I did this arithmetic. Let, let's just say you're one of those people who never has enough time to just make a sandwich, grab a banana, and throw a bottle of water in a bag, and that's your lunch. So you eat lunch out every day. So instead of spending a dollar fifty on the, on the ingredients to make your own lunch, you spend six fifty every day. So there's $5 a day that you're spending on lunch you don't need to. That's $25 a week. That's $100 a month. That's $1,200 a year. If you just took that $1,200 and put it in the bank and let it make 6 to 8% interest for 30 years, it's 20 grand. 20 grand. Simple little things can help. I'm not trying to give you financial advice. I'm just telling you that the, what the God says is that in your financial plan, you need to save. You need to be ready to save. Our biggest challenge is delayed gratification. We live in a, I want it now. I deserve it now. 
culture. So setting money aside and enjoying it 30 years from now, whether it's in giving great, in a more generous way to God's kingdom or spending it on something that you've always enjoyed. We don't live in it. We, we, don't, we don't embrace delayed gratification. We want it now. One of the things I tell young couples when I'm doing merit, pre-marriage counseling with them, I said, the biggest financial mistake you can make is trying to live like your parents are now. And they're 25, 30 years older than you are. Because when you try to live at their level, you're just going to stretch out all your income. You're going to have no place to save, and you're going to land up in a mess. You need to start out at the beginning and go back and look at the old family pictures when they were driving the old clunkers, living in the one-bedroom apartment, and were wearing hand-me-down clothes. Start there with them and make the journey. And when you get to the far end, you can be in a place that's as healthy as your parents are. I think part of the fascination with the lottery is really kind of zeroed in on this idea of instant gratification. When we just figure, man, if I just buy that $10 ticket, it could be my ticket to paradise, you know, kind of idea. Do you know that you have a better chance of being hit by a meteor than you do, than, than winning more money from the lottery than you spend on it? I mean, that's the only way it works, right? I mean, the lottery is not in the business of losing money. They're in the business of making money. And the only reason it works is because people lose more money, you know, than, than, they, than they win. And, and statistics have shown that your ability to win a, a huge windfall you're better off to get hit by, you're more likely to get hit by a meteor. You know, you did strike in the, the strike in the earth than you are to win the, it's, it's amazing. But we can convince ourselves in this desire, I got to buy that ticket, it's $172 million, you know? It's a tough thing for us. The scripture calls us to save, to be willing to delay gratification and to trust in God. Part of that really relies in this whole struggle of just being content. And as a means of stay, and as a part of being content, it means that we stay away from excessive debt. Now, I'm not going to tell you the Bible says that all debt is wrong. There are those who would teach that. I don't necessarily reach that same conclusion through my own studies. I will tell you that the Bible always cautions you before you take on debt. Why are you taking on debt? Look at Proverbs 21:17. The one who loves pleasure will become a poor man. Whoever loves wine and oil will not get rich. Again, from Ecclesiastes 6.9. Again, this is from Solomon. It's better to enjoy what we have than to always want something else because that makes no more sense than chasing the wind. He goes on to say in Proverbs 22.7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. What he's really saying here is that if our, if our appetite for stuff, our, our yearnings are greater than our earnings, we're going to land up being a slave to our debt. If, if, if all we want is more and more and more and more, and somehow or another we cannot reach a point where we understand that our contentment, our joy, our happiness isn't, doesn't lie in what we have, but who we are and how we relate to God, if we can't get to that place, and our yearnings always are greater than our, our earnings, we're going to land up being enslaved to our debt. You know, and part of just the, the kind of the, the, the wake-up call we need to have is that 1.3 billion people in the world live less, on less than a dollar a day. And there's some of us, we can't live on less than $3,000 a week or $2,000 a week or $1,000 a week. It's incredible. And it's humbling to all of us, including myself. Now, I, again, I'm not going to tell you that all, all debt is wrong. I mean, if you can own a home for the same amount that you would pay for rent, 
on an apartment. And it's a solid house, and et cetera. It's going to usually appreciate in value. You don't always know in this market, but if you think it's going to appreciate, that can be a great investment. I'm not going to tell you that's wrong. I am going to say that you need to be in a position where you are not house poor to start, so that really no matter what happens financially, you are confident you can keep making your payments because you need to owe no man anything, the Scripture says. So if you're pay- you need to be able to pay that debt. You need to keep it in a place where, where it's reasonable. Most of us, what happens is that when we move into our first home, we want to overstretch, buy more than you can afford because you'll grow into your budget and then when the house of cards begins to fall we find ourselves in struggle just be reasonable same with a car you know just don't ever be underwater on a car uh, you know and um we've gotten much of our marriage without car debt we have one we have a, a payment on one of our cars right now but we've gotten most of our 25 years without any car payments but you know the, the rule of thumb is just put down 20 percent because if you do that you're not going to be underwater on it. You go buy a new car and finance it 100%, you drive it off the lot, it's worth less than what you owe on it. So save up to 20%. If all you can save up is $3,000, you know that you can't afford a car that's more than 15000 So when you go to the dealership, don't start off on the Lexus side of the lot, you know, and then have to walk back over, you know, and then look at the Pinto, you know, and then you say, oh my gosh, you know, I got to drive this and I got to find a way to afford that, you know, and... We're doomed. Know, you know, know where you're at. Just be reasonable. But be careful. One of the biggest things in this whole area is credit cards. I remember when I was in college, I, I went to work for a bank in Boston. And um, so I had a summer job. I was making like four fifty an hour, I think, right? So, but I was working at a bank, so, and, and I knew one of the guys there. So he initialed my application. I got a credit card with a $300 credit limit on it. Yeah, you know, 300 bucks. I was ready, you know. And you know, I get back to school, within a couple of months, I was getting offers, you know, for, you know, cards with a $2,000 credit limit and a $3,000 credit limit. And except, by the time I got out of college, I had like three credit cards. I didn't have a job, but I had three credit cards. You know, again, most of us need to carry a credit card because you can't rent a hotel room, you can't rent a car, or any of those kinds of things without a credit card. I understand that. We also need to be aware that if you spend, do most of your spending on credit cards, like I do, and just pay it off at the end of the month, your statistics show that you'll spend 23% more than if you were just paying with cash. Just going to be smart because that 23% at some point can land up being debt if you don't keep it under control and know how you're going to handle all of that. I heard of a guy one time who took his credit cards and he froze them in a big block of ice. And so if he really wanted something and he needed to put it on a credit card, he had to take the block of ice out and let it melt. And if by the time the credit cards were out of the ice, if he still wanted it, then he went and bought it, you know. But if by the time he got done, then he, he didn't want it anymore, he just refroze the credit cards and started the whole journey all over again. Some of us need that kind of step back kind of thing. D- don't buy into these things. It's, we had a salesman one time. I don't know why I even thought of this. We had a salesman come to our house one time when we were living in Rockland to sell us new windows for our house. You know, and it was a great show, you know. You know, he'd get on the phone and he's arguing with his boss to get us a bigger discount and this and that, you know, and... And, and the things were, uh, you know, they were so expensive. You know, this, this, this is a sale you cannot afford not to buy. You know, you get those kinds of things. We need to be careful with all that stuff. Be content. And with that, stay away from the problem of debt. Just one last kind of odd comment, and then I'll move into my conclusion in, in, in our time of prayer. You know, we spend a lot, you know, 10 minutes out of 30 minutes on television is committed to commercials. And none of those companies go out and hire people to say, well, let's hire, let's hire a firm to make our commercials that can't convince anybody to buy anything. I mean, they go out and they hire the best. And they want to convince all of us that we can't be happy or we can't be efficient or we can't lose weight if we don't buy their product. 
And we just really need to have filters on, spiritual filters on, that our contentment comes from the Lord and not from that which we own, but that which we do in response to faith to Him. It is amazing that God wants to add to our spiritual health through the way we spend our money, Monday through Saturday. And He wants it to be a place where we can be, where we experience great joy. We need to learn how to manage money God's way instead of our way. So we can get to a place where we know the joy of giving. We know that it's changing lives around the world and even here in northern Worcester County. So ask God today to lessen your yearnings for things and increase your yearning to walk closely with him. Let's pray together for just a minute. Our Father and our God, we're grateful that there isn't a single second of our lives that you're not concerned about. And really all of us, as we sit here today, we have a lot to thank you for. Just the, literally the blessings of living in this part of the world, in this part of the country. By any, by any measure, Father, we are people who are blessed. If we own a home, we're a part of the 3% of the wealthiest in the world. It's an incredible gift, Father, you've given us. We need to be thankful for that. But God, as we wrestle with this, we know it creates worry in our lives. We wrestle with having a spirit of peace and security about all of this. God, we celebrate that you have a plan for us. As we think about planning how we spend our money, figuring out how we can save that which we should be saving, and developing healthy definitions of what it means to be content in our lives, we ask you to walk us through each and every phase of that so that you get the glory and we get the blessings. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing a concluding song of celebration to our Lord. Stand with me as we sing to the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I want to invite our ushers to come forward during our, offering, uh, during our song and receive our offering. You can place your cards in there as we go.